Welcome to the We Invested Podcast, where we teach you how to save and make more cash. I'm your host, Wesley Ert, and this is Season 3, Episode 14. And on this episode, we sit down with Lisa Fabrega to learn how to grow your business. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's do it. Today on the We Invested Podcast, we have here with us Lisa Fabrega, and she is a leadership coach who helps ambitious people expand their capacity to handle more growth, wealth, and success. And so Lisa is the CEO and the founder of Creator of Capacity Framework. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for joining us. I know things were kind of hectic in the beginning, but thank you so much for being patient with me. Of course. (laughs) No worries. Yes, Yes, ma'am. So I'll just jump right into it, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay, so what exactly is Creator of Capacity Framework, and how did you get started? Yeah, well, the Capacity Framework is basically the almost 11 years of work that I have done honing the work that I was doing with my clients, Um, and I found uh, the way I got started actually was not even what I'm doing right now. Um, I was actually health coaching people on their nutrition when I first started my business. But I noticed that a lot of my clients were not really talking to me about their food in most of our sessions. We were talking about personal development. We were talking about the inner stuff that was going on for them that was preventing them from making healthy food choices or things that were causing them to overeat and so on and so forth. Um, So I actually started that way. And when I started noticing that my clients didn't really want to talk about food, that's when my work began to evolve. And then I began working with more and more business owners. Um, I work with people in every type of field, but I was working with a lot of business owners, a lot of executives that kept trying things over and over and over again and nothing seemed to be working and a lot of times they were employing hacks like performance hacks or strategies to try to get to where they wanted to go or they had a certain monetary goal they wanted to get to and so they had the strategy planned out if we invest this much and this is how much we're going to get but then it wouldn't happen they wouldn't get to the goals and they would try all these different tactics and very often they were spending a ton of money hiring strategists and experts to try to fix the problem from a strategic perspective, but it wasn't a strategic problem. It was actually a capacity problem. So you could say, I want to make seven figures by the end of this year, but the question people were not asking themselves is, do I have the capacity to receive seven figures by the end of the year. It's not about just the strategy. That's why you see lottery people who win the lottery, right? They will win a hundred million dollars and in five years it's all gone. Why? Because they never expanded their capacity to be the person that has a hundred million dollars. They were still in their mind the person that has $50,000 a year. Um, So that's how I, I kind of fell into my work and I started realizing that there was six capacities that people tended to struggle with the most because when you've been doing it as long as I have, I've worked with thousands and thousands of people at this point. So you start to notice these patterns and I started to notice, okay, there's these six places that people are running into issues with their capacity, no matter how much money they're making or how successful they are. And there are 
specific things that I've noticed working with people that unlock more capacity in each one of the areas that I that I was mentioning before. Um, and that is how the capacity framework came about, this whole methodology that I now use with my clients um, that helps them unlock more capacity so they can go to their next level. That's awesome. And I and I think the beginning of your story kind of speaks on the entrepreneurial spirit um, of just how you got started in health, but then you you made a pivot to helping, um, you know, business owners. So you saw a need and then you kind of just executed right on that need. But yeah. just kind of speaking more to capacity, what exactly do you mean when you say capacity? Like, what is your definition of capacity? That's a really great question. And I think it's really important to define it because that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in, when I talk about capacity, I'm talking about your ability to hold, handle, and receive every next level of your growth. That's what I'm talking about. You're not sabotaging yourself without realizing it. You're not... Um, throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying every strategy because internally you're afraid of actually getting that result, right? So it's it's your capacity to hold, handle, and receive every next level of your growth. That's how capacity is defined. Awesome. So so if I can kind of take it in and put it how I understand it. So it's kind of like scalability. Like, are you ready to grow? Are you ready to expand? Exactly. Uh, there's a story I love to tell. If you don't mind, I can tell it. Um, it's a perfect example of this. It, um, it, it happened with Oprah because Oprah is somebody who I admire greatly and is one of my, my life mentors. And, um, you know, her show, Fa Oprah's Favorite Things, every business that gets mentioned explodes, right? Every business that she picks. And I was doing research on what they call the Oprah effect, you ever heard of the Oprah effect? Never. Okay, this is fat. This is a perfect example of capacity. So, Oprah, when she mentions there was a woman named um, Patty West, and she had a candy company called Good Caramel Candies, like caramel but karma, you know. And nice. she had this company, and she had only been operating it for about six months, and already they were pushing pace with their orders. And then Oprah picks them for the twenty-five favorite things, and they thought they were ready. But the night that that episode aired, she said she was sitting at her computer and she was watching the orders just pouring in. She realized that just a few hours after she was mentioned on the show, she had to shut down ordering on her website because it was going to take her a month just to fulfill the orders that had already come in. And to this day, she says, my gosh, you know, the company's still doing okay. But she's like, my gosh, I wonder how many hundreds of thousands of dollars I could have lost that month that I had to, sh she had to shut her website down for a month. People couldn't order from her website for a month. How many customers, how much money did she lose in that month? Because she did not have the capacity to be receiving what would come her way because Oprah mentioned her. So that's a perfect example of a capacity problem. And there's different capacities, you know, that I would say well, when we talk further, we can define it. But I'd say there's a structural capacity issue going on there. Maybe there's some boundaries that need to be set up. And then there's also like she talks a little bit about the emotional piece of being so visible all of a sudden and, and everybody's looking at you. And how do you handle that? Right. How do you handle your visibility quadrupling overnight? Um, are you clear on how you want to handle that? So that story to me is like the perfect example of a, running into a capacity issue. 
that's a great story and it and it's it's kind of bittersweet in a way so like you're excited to get the traffic and to get you know have the visibility but then it's also overwhelming and then i guess it can get kind of depressing once you realize you have to kind of shut your business down and uh like you know just realize that we're not ready for growth yet exactly um, I, i heard you mention something that i thought was interesting and I, I was uh, doing some research on you before, and I kind of heard you talk talk about emotional capacity. And I think that that is um, something unique, and I haven't really heard much about that. So if you could kind of um, go deeper into yeah. what exactly emotional capacity is. Yeah, so emotional capacity I put under the capacity I call embodiment capacity. Um, and emotional capacity, I'm going to tell another story, because I love telling stories because it helps us understand so do you watch the show Billions? I've never heard of it. Okay. Oh, it's good. It's about investment. It's about these hedge fund managers and these big investors. And, you know, the lead is kind of a really corrupt character, but but it's fab it's fabulous. It's a great show. And these guys are dealing in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and the billions of dollars. And that's why it's called Billions. And the lead character of the show um, had there's this episode where he makes an investment, he makes an investment call and they lose $400 million like that. And for him, he never loses. Like he's usually so good that it's really rare for him to have made such a bad and huge bad call. <laughs> and you know what he does? He doesn't call his analysts in to figure out strategically what happened. The first person he calls is his leadership coach. And he calls her over and they go for this long walk all night long talking. And you know what he's talking to her about? He's talking to her about his childhood and how something from his childhood caused him to make that decision that came from a not aligned emotionally place. And he didn't even realize it. It was operating in his subconscious. And that's what caused him to make that $400 million mistake. It wasn't his strategy. And so to me, that's a perfect example of what emotional capacity can do um, when it comes to even the strategies that we're employing or how it can make us lose money or gain money. We could burn uh, bridges, we could burn relationships with people. Um, if we're dealing with a very difficult launch or we're going through, you know, a huge capital raise for a company or whatever, and emotionally it's stressing you out, you're blowing up at people, you can't handle it, you're creating a toxic environment for the people around you, and everybody starts quitting, you're not going to be able to raise that money. You're not going to be able to be successful in that launch. Or if you're freaking out every time you're not hitting your numbers emotionally, you can't sustain that. You know, successful businesses are sustainable over long periods of time. So you have to start being able to handle some of those stress up and downs without it flatlining you. Because every time you flatline, every time it drains you because you were freaking out, it takes you that much more time to recover from it. And you're losing momentum in the recovery period. And I think that, um, you know, that momentum in business is important. It, it can like kind of make or break you. Yeah. The, the key to success is consistency and persistence. If you're not being consistent and you're not being persistent, you're, you're just always stopping and starting. And, you know, just from a perspective of an audience, if I'm an audience watching you stop and start, you don't look trustworthy to me. So I'm not going to give you my money. And number two, you're just not in my face enough for me to even remember you don't want to buy something from you. 
That makes sense. And, and so can you kind of just speak on the importance of a leadership coach? Um, because I think it's interesting that, you know, after making a, a huge mistake in the example that you gave, the first person that he called was his leadership coach. So yeah. if it was, if it's that important to him, it, it must have some significance to it. So could you kind of elaborate on that? Not only does he call her first, but he has her on staff for all of his bankers and analysts. And she owns a share of the company on the show. That's how important she is to him. And he says that she's the one that helped. The reason she owns a percentage of the company is because she he credits her as building the company because she supported him in his internal leadership. Um, so I think it's important for the reason I stated before, which is that there are only so many things that strategies will help. And we get to a certain point in our careers where we already know all the strategies. There's only a finite amount of strategies you can apply and that you can rearrange. But what happens when even that stuff's not working? That's when it's mindset stuff, it's emotional stuff, it's um, self-sabotage going on that's happening on a, such a subconscious level that we don't realize it, like when he made that $400 million bad call, right? And so that's why we need leadership coaches because if we don't have someone who can notice, hey, the reason this isn't working is not because you don't have the right strategy here. It's because deep down you have a belief that if you make this much money, everyone's going to leave you. Or you have a belief that um, if you become this visible, that people are going to try to come after you, right? Whatever it might be. And if you, you're not catching those things, what's happening is those, those things are staying on a subconscious level and influencing every decision you make. And then you're making decisions that aren't the most powerful decisions that you could possibly make because you're not even aware that you're being driven by those fears internally. And that's awesome. And it's kind of two points that you, you just kind of mentioned that I want to hit on. So the first point or the first topic, I thought it's pretty cool how you say um, everybody is kind of looking for strategies and, and hacks and things like that. And I was on YouTube this weekend and it's like the, the videos with the most views are strategies and hacks on how to get a thousand followers fast or how to get 10,000, you know, whatever. Everybody kind of wants the fast way yeah the secret the hack the strategy and and i mean it's like it, it's only so far that could take you like you said and then the, the second part that i thought was really really valuable especially in today's time is the more visible you are you can have that fear that okay more people will come after me yeah you know, that's that's a real true fear yeah or the other one i hear a lot is when I get that visible, it's going to be even more nerve wracking if I make a mistake because so many more people are watching me make that mistake now. For sure. For sure. Yes, ma'am. And so um, kind of moving on. So what is the one thing that is required to more effectively and efficiently handle growth, wealth and more success? Well, it's capacity. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's capacity because like I said, I've worked with people who have eight-figure companies. I even was put on briefly on the board of a $100 million company um, for advisory on the capacity perspective. I've worked with people who are making $50,000 a year. From I've worked with auto body shop owners. I've worked with Oscar nominees. I've worked with Nobel Peace Prize people. I've worked with small business owners, actors, artists. I've worked with everybody. 
And very often when they're like, why do I keep hitting this wall? Why do I keep coming around with this cycle? It's always capacity. Yes, ma'am. And I, I was looking on your Instagram and um, I saw you had a, a pretty cool follower. Um, so your Instagram is definitely, definitely like, it's definitely lit. But let me just go on to the next question. So America is like a go, go, go kind of society. Like it's always more go bigger, get more money, make more money. So like, how do people drain their energy and their power? And like, how can you tell if you're draining your energy or your power? Yeah. Um, I, this is where I like to talk about the six capacities because that's where I noticed there's six areas where people are doing that over and over and over again. So we can start with money capacity and money capacity. I define it as your ability to earn, save and invest larger and larger amounts of money every year. So if you are not doing that, you're looking at a money capacity issue. And the way this drains your power is all of these, a lot of people have little leaks in the money area. Um, I was just talking to a client yesterday who couldn't figure out why she couldn't get past the $200,000 revenue level. And she'd been trying for years. It was two years now that she'd been in all these business masterminds and hire all these strategists to figure out the problem. She's like, I know all the hacks and everything I need to do and it's still not working for me. And we discovered that she has a belief that anybody that she, anybody that she has seen earn more than seven figures, they're doing it in a way that she doesn't like. And so she thinks that in order to make seven figures, she has to be somebody she doesn't like, or she has to use tactics that are what she doesn't want to do. So that's a perfect example of a little tiny leak that's draining your ability to earn, save, and invest more and more money every year. Um, then we have our visibility capacity, which is your ability to allow all of you to be seen in your work. Now, I'm not saying you got to share stuff that's private, you know, to your family or whatever, but are the person is the person you're being when I'm seeing you online or when you're showing up in your work, are you really being yourself or are you being some sort of mask or person that you think you need to be because the way that drains your power is that's pretty exhausting to keep up after a while to have to wear this mask all the time and it's going to burn you out so that your business is not really going to last a long time because the amount of energy it takes to be covering all these parts of you up so that you're acceptable like for me i cuss a lot you know and so I don't not cuss when I'm marketing. I cuss when I'm marketing because I don't want someone who's going to be so offended by me using a bad word, then them not realizing they go, they sign up, they pay to work with me. And then I say the F word and they're like, I want my money back right? because they never heard me say it before. So it's much easier and less draining for me to just be myself. And somebody doesn't like cussing them, then they'll know right away and they'll head the other direction and find somebody else. Um, and then we have embodiment capacity, which is where we talk about emotional capacity. Um, there are so many ways that, and we'll, we can talk about this a little further, but there's just so many ways that we do emotional labor. Like I just fired a personal trainer that I had worked with for over a year because I started noticing that he was requiring me to do so much emotional labor. Like he hadn't, when the pandemic started, we obviously switched to online because we couldn't meet in person. 
And he started asking me how Zoom worked instead of figuring out how Zoom works himself. Call Zoom, figure it out. And then every time we had a session, he was asking me Zoom questions instead of training me. Or it was like a mess for me to get on with him. And it was, and then another time he decided he wanted to start surfing in the mornings before our sessions. And then our sessions would start and he was still in his car um, for every session. And you don't want to train with your trainer while they're just sitting in the car watching you. You want them to work out with you. So all these things kept happening that I was having to like cover for him and be like, it's okay. But it happened so often that it started to get draining for me. And I wasn't enjoying the training situation anymore. So I ended up letting him go. I mean, amicably, you know, whatever. But that's an example of like that. Every little bit of unnecessary emotional labor that you do for another person or every little way that you allow someone's criticism to affect you and throw you off emotionally, which then affects how you're showing up for your business. All those little, what I like to call paper cuts that you get throughout the day. If you don't have the capacity to just be like, whatever, I'm not going to let those things affect me. That really drains you over time. It really burns you out over time in this very slow and subtle way. Uh, then we have purpose, capacity. Um, the biggest way I see people drain themselves here, your purpose capacity is that your inside matches your outside. So it's similar to visibility in that I've met so many people who've built entire businesses that are literally generating millions of dollars. And the person is like, this business is not me. And I want to sell my share in this company because it is draining me to no end to have to be running this business and it's not even aligned with who I am and the energy it takes to be showing up to something that's not aligned with your joy, that's not aligned with what your purpose is in this world, very draining. And a lot of people think, oh, it's my business model that it's a problem. No, you're actually completely out of alignment with your purpose, with the business you've built. Um, and then the last two I'll say real quickly, um, another place where I see people get drained a lot is through their structures. And I call that structural capacity. And your structures are your foundation of your house. Like a lot of people build these big mansions on cardboard foundation. So they'll have a funnel that's generating millions, but their team behind the scenes is a mess. And it's so much work just to keep delivering that service to the clients. People are quitting left and right. It doesn't make their business enjoyable. They're getting drained and exhausted or they refuse to hire someone to come help them clean the house once a week when their time would be much better spent doing something else and it's better to hire that out. Or, you know, they don't want to hire someone to come help them with the kids so they can build their, their business more. And so that's a structural capacity issue that drains us as well and that's pulling our focus away from building what we want to build. And then boundaries. I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. If you've got people that are constantly crossing your boundaries, you've got clients who always want more than what you promised to deliver them, and you're kind of like trying to be everything to everybody, um, and you don't have good boundaries with yourself, which means you allow yourself to do things that are going to drain you, that's another way that people get drained. For sure. And I think that's like something really important to know and to understand before going into anything that you do. Like you have to understand your limits and your boundaries. So you can recognize, okay, when you're being pushed past your limits or when I'm being pushed past my boundaries, you can just know kind of when to separate or depart instead of just staying there and con 
continuing to drain yourself emotionally and physically and mentally. Yes, exactly. Yes, ma'am. So I think another important, um, you know, topic that you kind of speak to is um, the scarcity mentality. Um, Would you mind just explaining what exactly that means? Yes. You know, scarcity mentality is the belief that there isn't enough. That there's a limited amount of resources. And that is how our world is run. And a lot of what we understand about business is it, that's underneath that. And it's people often are surprised when I say that I've met people who are generating millions and millions of dollars and they still have a scarcity mindset because they still think there isn't enough to go around. They still think they have to hoard everything and not share it with other people because this limited amount, um, they market in a way that says there is scarcity, like when they're using manipulation tactics, when they're putting fake deadlines um, to create urgency in people, those are all scarcity tactics because if you truly believe that there is enough for you and you believe that you are going to generate what you need, you don't need to use those tactics to get people to buy things from you. So even using those kinds of marketing tactics indicates that you think there's scarcity. Um, So that's what I mean by scarcity mindset. And I could definitely relate to that. I had, when I first started my podcast, I had like a scarcity, a scarcity mindset going into it. I just thought, well, it's already a million other finance podcasts out there. When, you know, who would want to listen to mine? So I can definitely relate to that kind of scarcity mindset. And it, and it really does hold you back. It creates like fear that shouldn't even exist. Like it's not even real. Yeah. And if you'd listen to that, your podcast wouldn't be here and wouldn't be serving all the people that it serves. For sure. Yes, ma'am. So on to my next question. So what do you think are some reasons why people who are in the spotlight may want to step out of the spotlight? And then if you do decide to step out of that spotlight, is it possible for you to get back into it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I, I call that a visibility capacity issue, which we talked about earlier There's lots of reasons. It would be impossible for me to name all of them, but some of the biggest ones I see are that people are, you know, it doesn't feel safe for them, right? So it depends on what your background is, like what has been your experience. You know, if you had, if you grew up in a family that, you know, you were told don't brag or you got in trouble for being loud or expressing opinions, it might never feel safe for you to express your opinions and your feelings. If you are a person of color, it might not feel safe for you to express your opinions in certain environments or widely. If you are a person who has had bad experiences where you were made fun of or you were ridiculed when you spoke up, it might not feel safe for you to be visible. And so those are the kinds of things that we have to work through because we do have to be visible when we are building big projects in the world and businesses and People want to know who we are and what we stand for and what our values are. And we have to be willing to stand with those values and not be afraid of the pushback we might get. Um, Another thing that people I notice are afraid of being more visible is that they won't be able to handle it. That's a capacity issue, right? Because remember, capacity is your ability to hold, handle, and receive 
your next level. Some people think that I'm going to be so visible. I'm not going to have any privacy. Everyone's going to want a piece of me. Um, and it creates this feeling of like you're a victim to your visibility. Like you can't control it. And so I had a client once who had a book coming out that was getting lots of press and she was, she was holding back the, the publishers from doing what they wanted to do to really make the book a bestseller. And when we got down to it, she was afraid of becoming more visible because she was afraid that it was going to give her so much publicity that she wasn't going to be able to be home to have dinner with her family every night. And that was really important to her. And I was like, you're not a victim to your visibility. You can tell your publicist, my meetings end at four, so I can be home to have dinner with my family. So that's a great example. And you absolutely can get back in the spotlight. You just have to work on your visibility capacity. You have to work on the places in you that feel unsafe to be seen, that where it feels scary to be seen, where it feels like you're going to lose control of your world if you become more visible. Um, and then also the parts of us that are afraid of getting mean comments online. Right. Sometimes our colleagues, sometimes even our colleagues will disagree with us publicly. And do we have the capacity to withstand that and keep showing up? Yes, ma'am. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm right now kind of just looking over and I'm just, um, I'm seeing that you've been seen on CNN, Sports Illustrated, the Huffington Post and Yahoo News. So, I mean, you know, you, and you've had a, a and yes, ma'am, and many more. And you've had an 11 year, um, you've been in your current company or your, you've been running your company for the past 11 years. So would you just mind speaking on, um, you know, how you stay so productive? Yeah. Um, for me, it's really about number one it's it's i constantly work on my own capacity i would have zero business teaching what i teach if i wasn't going through it i just wrote a six blog post series that's coming out on my website soon about all the capacity stuff i had to work on in the last three years to get to where i am now so that's something that i'm always revisiting like every time i so right now i am moving out of my home into another home and the rent at the home that I live in right now, when I first moved into this home, it was four times what I'd ever paid in rent. Imagine it was four times and the capacity work that I had to do to not feel afraid to make that leap and that investment huge, right? Because I was terrified and now I'm on my next level of capacity growth because now my rent is doubling from the quadruple that I had just gotten used to. Wow. <laughs> so it's like you're con I constantly have to be working on that because when you have a very big vision, which I do, of impacting a lot of people and having a very successful company, I'm talking in the hundreds of millions, um, you've got to be constantly looking at where your edges are and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them because the person that you want to be is not the person who you are now. And you're going to have to be a different person for, for every goal. So that's how I stay productive is I am constantly going back to, okay, I'm hitting a plateau here. What capacity is responsible for this plateau? Oh, it's that one. Let me work on that one because 
what makes you productive is what you're constantly putting things out, you're showing up, you're being persistent, you're being consistent. The only thing that could get in my way of that is when I'm hitting an edge in my capacity, where I'm finding a capacity deficit within myself. And if I just keep working and tweaking and not letting those things go, I can continue growing and holding and handling and receiving and continuing to produce content and not burning out and having those endless wells of energy. That's all capacity stuff. For sure. And I think that's like a really important um, point that you hit on. Cause I know for me personally, I, I found myself hitting a plateau sometimes and I have to like take that step back um, to just kind of reevaluate and see where I can improve and where I can make myself better. And that's actually something that I need to improve upon on doing, just kind of checking myself more regularly. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. I'm constantly checking myself. I have a quiz that I give all my clients and they, they love to like take the quiz and it'll tell them, these are the capacities you have to work on first. And then they'll take it a few months later and they're like, oh, look how it changed. Now I got to focus on this one. So it's really good to keep self-assessing. That's awesome. So after you made that switch, okay, um, from, from health to more business focused, how did you know when you had the right business idea? Ease, mm. no drainage, passion and excitement. Um, the words just flowed easily from my mouth. It wasn't hard to describe what I do. It wasn't hard to write about what I do. Um, there's a, I don't know if you're, did, did you ever read the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? Never. Okay, definitely read it. It's so good. And he talks in that book about the zones that we can exist in. And he, he talks about the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. Zone of genius is what I want to talk about because he says that in the zone of genius, when you are in your zone of genius, it's so easy. You can't believe you get paid for it. Like it just comes to you so easily. You almost feel embarrassed and bad charging for it. <laughs> and that's how I know when I'm in my zone of genius. And that's how I knew it just felt like suddenly people were perking up and going, wait, I never heard that before. Oh, that's really interesting because my visibility capacity was strong and I was showing up as who I was, which means my marketing and my expression is going to be unlike anybody else's because I'm in my zone of genius. Um, and it feels easy. Like I could just get on a podcast and just talk and talk and talk about it. And I never run out of things to say or ideas to share because it's what comes to me naturally. It's my zone of genius. That's awesome. And that kind of sounds like, um, that kind of sounds like the zone of genius sounds like you put in your 10,000 hours. Oh yeah. Putting put in your 10 years of work and now you're just at a point where everything is flowing smoothly and yeah. you know, you, you're just in, in your zone, as you said. Yeah. And I, and, and I have definitely put in more than 10,000 hours, but I want to say you can experience those zones of genius states at any point in your work because you'll notice when it doesn't feel so hard. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. I've, I've worked my booty off building this business, but you don't really, it doesn't feel like hard work and you don't resent it. You are like, man, I'm working really, like the, I just finished, we're about to launch something new and I just spent the last two weeks working till really late for two weeks in a row. I don't feel tired, resentful, you know, like I can't keep this 
up. I can't go because I love doing that. It comes to me easily. And so I enjoy working that much on it. It's not permanent. It's just for a few weeks, but that's how, you know, you're in your zone. Right. So when you complete a big project, you kind of feel energized, like, Hey, I just did something great. I know it'll go over well. I know the people will love it and it'll really help people. So exactly. That's exactly it. Sure. So, um, being a leadership coach, um, I guess you would be, I guess you could say that you are a part of a lot of different teams. Yeah. Um, and, and you're probably like a, a key player on those different teams. So for you personally, how important is it to you to have a good team around you? And how did you personally build that team up or, or create your team? This is such a great question. I went to a uh, conference once and I, there was a breakout session that was being led by a man who had a multiple, it was a, no, he had an eight figure company. And the only thing he talked about, it was called scaling to eight figures. So I thought I'm going to go in and get all these strategies. <laughs> no, the only thing he talked about for an hour was your team. And that was his answer to scaling to eight figures is your team. So your team is make or break. When you first start, your team is just you. Then maybe it grows to one other person. But your team is make or break because there, and I've experienced it myself because there comes a point where you just can't wear all the hats anymore because it's grown so much that actually you are, I noticed this when I got to multiple six figures, the first time I got to multiple six figures many years ago, um, I noticed that now I was actually hindering my business from growing because I was not a good business manager. That's not my zone of genius. My zone of genius is to be the CEO. My zone of genius is not to be keeping track of what the team is doing and giving orders and all that stuff. And so I, I was doing it myself, but I realized I was actually annoying the heck out of my team members because I'm not good at it. <laughs> So I had to be like, you know what? I don't have to be good at everything. And I hired a business manager and the business manager does a much better job than I do. And so people on the team are happier. They're more productive. They're not quitting left and right because they're not happy. You know, if I was in that role, everybody would probably be quitting because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> um, so, so no, I, I think that without a team, you can't grow past a certain point because at a certain point you need other people's ideas. You want to be sharing other people's ideas. You can't think beyond a certain point, but somebody else can fill in a gap, a talent that you don't have. So yeah, I mean, if you want a really business, you absolutely have to have a team. It can't just be one person's ideas and you can't be good at everything. Right. And I think that um, that's an important point too, is just knowing and understanding your weaknesses Yep. Are just as important as understanding your strengths. So, Absolutely. You know, if you can, if you can realize, okay, maybe I'm not the best at this. You can outsource that. You can hire that out. You can get someone in that is good at that to help. Yeah. Um, you know, to just help build the brand. But something that I'm kind of struggling with, and I'm sure a lot of other entrepreneurs are, is that trusting team members with like your baby like your business is your baby and like you know how you want it to be and you have these ideas and you kind of started it from scratch so to kind of just invite somebody else into it and you know that could be kind of intimidating right yeah um i think it can be intimidating and 
I think there's two things we have to say here. Number one, nobody will ever love your business like you do. I don't care how much money you pay them. That's your baby. So first of all, just remove the pressure that somebody has to view your business like their baby. It's not their baby. Right. Right. It's the same thing. Like my sister's children, I love those children and I feel I love them as if they were my own. But I guarantee you, my sister loves them more than I do <laughs> because right. they're hers. She gave birth to them. <laughs> so it's the same thing with your business. So stop expecting someone. Number one, that's a mistake I made for many years is I would expect people to love my business as much as I do. They're, they never will. It's my baby. Now, yes, it's scary to hand the reins, some reins over to other people. Um, but it's kind of like if you're trying to work on a project with no input whatsoever and you're not letting any external feedback come in, that's going to stagnate at a certain point. So you have to weigh, do I want to stagnate or do I want to little by little allow this person to give input? It doesn't mean you're giving up your agency and you're letting them do whatever they want, but you can have conversations and weigh against what you like. And guess what? There are, my business manager is a systems genius. She is a systems and processes genius. I had an idea when she came on that I think things should go this way. And she was like, nope. And we clashed a couple times because she was like, the way you are doing this is so inefficient. And finally, when I let her do it, it was kind of hard to adjust to because I wasn't used to doing it that way. But my God, she was 100% right. So you can't always see what's best in the areas that are not your zone of genius. That's awesome. And I think it's great like that you're just being transparent and letting us know about, um, you know, some of your fears that you had and, and some, I guess, obstacles that you had to overcome. But just to kind of dig uh, deeper into that, like, are there any other business mistakes that you made that you wish you could have avoided or, or just things that stuck with you? So many. <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get to 11 years in business without making hundreds of mistakes. For sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the biggest mistakes I've been, I've made have been related to not trying, like trying to get what you were saying earlier about how everything's go, 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 these types of results, like that's how we're focused and that's where we go wrong because there were many times where someone sold me some fancy funnel that I should try that was making all the people all the money and it didn't work and I ended up with like $100,000 in debt because of that funnel, right? Wow. Yeah, I had that experience one year, many years ago in my business. It was probably one of the most stressful years of my business. I had literally gone from being having wait lists for my wait lists to because I didn't have capacity, I was burned out because I didn't have the right structures in place. I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't understand capacity at that point. And I had tried to like go for this big thing without calculating, wait a minute, where does my capacity need to be in order for this funnel to work? Instead, I just wanted to go straight to the result. So that's like me going, hey, let me just walk out my house after not exercising for three years and run a marathon. Right. Good luck. <laughs> You're going to be out in mile two with an injury. <laughs> so it's the same thing. We want to get to the marathon without doing any of the work of learning how to run one mile, two miles, three miles, five miles, 15 miles. And so 
that's where most of my mistakes have been made. Um, I got really distracted by the shiny funnel everybody was trying and I did not question, do I have the capacity to receive this amount of money? Do I have the structural capacity? Do I have the right team in place to make this amount of money? Do I have the resources to put into Facebook ads to make this amount of money? I didn't ask myself any of those questions. It's what a lot of people fall for when they sign up for programs. They go, oh yeah, this thing is going to solve my problem, but they never stop to think, wait a minute, do I have the capacity to receive the thing that this thing is promising me? Because if you don't have it, you are going to sabotage the results. Wow. And that's awesome because I know many people, including myself, have fallen victim to trying to just do it, trying to just jump out and not think about it, not plan it. I'm going to just try it out and see where it goes. And that can be good in some cases, but if you're really trying to grow and expand and and make something major you have to have plans like you have to have that infrastructure in place you need that capacity like you said so i agree with you like one thousand percent yeah and just kind of on that topic of you know um learning lessons and mistakes and things like that do you have any any least favorite parts about being an entrepreneur oh gosh that's a hard question i'm trying to think of something i don't like <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I it, I used to not like it, but because I've been working on my capacity for handling this, it's not something I don't, it's something I can handle now. But I'm a person that I like certainty and I like to plan things out. And entrepreneurialism is not like that. It's very up and down. It's very much like a roller coaster. You don't always know where your money's going to come from the next month. Even Richard Branson, I heard him say on a stage once that he worries about paying his team every month. The billionaire, Richard Branson. That's crazy. Right. And so, you know, I think that it used to really stress me out. I used to have major stress and not be able to sleep and be freaking out. Like, where's my money coming from? every month and when i started to really do a deeper dive into my emotional capacity and my boundary capacity those setting boundaries with myself to not let myself go there mentally and just stay focused um that really got a lot better and so i can have those up and downs now and it really i am just calm cool and collected just keep focusing keep going don't pay attention to this thing keep going and it doesn't really stress me out that much anymore but i would say that used to be my least favorite thing, and I think it's the hardest thing to adjust to when you are an entrepreneur. Awesome. And, and just kind of, it's kind of veering off a little bit, but um, how, like, when you first, when you first, I guess, got what you would call to be successful, like, how did you handle that? Like, was it hard to stay focused? Did you get in any distractions? Were you like... I made it, I can chill for a little bit, or did you like press the gas? Like, how did that go for you? Well, I, I never feel like I made it because as soon as I get to one level, I'm like, what's the next thing we're gonna do? So I never feel like I've arrived, <laughs> never. <laughs> I definitely have a lot more financial comfort than I did in my late 20s when I started my business, you know, um, for sure. Um, but I never feel like I've made it, made it. Um, I don't think I'll ever feel that way because it's just in my nature to always want to be going bigger and, oh, I've tried this. Now what else can we do with that? But um, 
I think maybe like the first six figures or the first multiple six figures, how did I handle it? Um, not well, <laughs> which is why I need capacity. I got to the point where I was, my schedule was so packed because so many people wanted to work with me. So I didn't have structural capacity, right? And I thought the problem was a strategic one and a business model one. So I went and invested all this money in this funnel that was going to bring many people in so I could work with many people at once. But my business had been built on high touch, high price programs. So it was like such a, I was, I was misdiagnosing the problem and thinking it was a business model problem. And in fact, I was just burned out because I didn't have the right structural capacity in place. Um, and so I had to really fall on my booty <laughs> to learn that lesson. And then I realized, oh, it's not about the funnel. Awesome. So what would you say is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Uh, just getting to see the people that you impact. I mean, that to me is my my favorite thing. I have a list of testimonials that whenever I'm feeling down or like, is what I'm doing making a difference or is what I'm doing providing any value? Because by the way, if you've ever wondered that, it means you have integrity. <laughs> because only people with no integrity don't ever wonder if they're of value or helping other people. Um, and so when I feel that way, I just scroll and scroll and scroll through all my testimonials. And I have so many testimonials now working with people in 11 years. And it's always like a reminder of why I do this. And just getting to see someone have a breakthrough or seeing them make a big shift or a marriage be saved or a business turned around or like a parent be able to spend more time with their child because they're not always working. Those are the, my favorite things of what I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So... What would you say is the single most important reason for your success? Oh, devotion. <laughs> That's an important one. Yes. And devotion requires capacity because it's not about willpower because willpower implies that you have to force yourself. But when you're devoted, you don't need to force yourself to do anything. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I know we kind of touched on, you know, going into a hundred K worth of debt. And that's like something I can't even really imagine especially <laughs> on the business side. I can't even like imagine it, but what would you say has been like one of the most critical moments of your business journey, like fight or flight kind of moments? It was that moment. I can imagine I, I would be, I would be a wreck. I had, I think I never had more than like $3,000 on a credit card at that point. <laughs> And I was like, I'm, I literally felt like I'm going to die. <laughs> like This is so much funny. And I remember, thank God for my father. Um, everybody in my family is a doctor. And my father is the only person who has his own businesses. Um, he also works as a consultant for another company, but he has his own business. And I remember I was so stressed out. I think I did not sleep for that whole year. And... I remember having, finally having a conversation with him and saying, dad, like, I am so stressed out. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. And he just went, ha, ah! he just started laughing. And he said, that's nothing. Lisa, said, every business carries debt at some point. He's like, I've had $500,000 in debt at points. And then, and then I started looking up like JB Morgan, Morgan Stanley. And I'm like, oh, these companies have hundreds of millions of dollars of debt. 
<laughs> right? So America, America is like trillions of dollars in debt. Yeah, exactly. So that got rid of the shame that I felt about it because it made me feel like I failed to have debt. But then when I started learning that co most companies carry debt at some point or other and then they pay it off, I was like, oh, and sure enough, I paid it off. Man, and I know that was probably one of the best feelings ever, just like <laughs> Honestly, no, because you know what was great is I became debt tolerant. And so I didn't really feel relief. It just felt like, oh, it's just a different reality to be in without debt versus being in debt doesn't stop me from doing my work and still making great money and, and growing my business. The debt helped finance me to be able to keep growing my business. For sure. It kind of gives you that leverage, right? Yeah, exactly. So no, I didn't really feel relief. It just felt like, oh, today I'm wearing a pink shirt and tomorrow I'm wearing a blue shirt. Still shirt. Right, just another day, right? Right, just a different shirt color. <laughs> That's like, those are the problems that you want to have in life. Like, those are CEO, founder, big boss problems, right? <laughs> but see, like, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't feel that way as I feel about money. And now debt doesn't scare me at all. Man, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So who do you look up to for inspiration? Like, we know you like Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> yeah, you know that I for sure. Oprah. So. Oprah is my inspiration in all things. And uh, I also really look up to uh, Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle is a huge inspiration for me. Um, I'm a big fan of Amal Clooney. Um, she, is, uh, the, she is married to George Clooney. Um, and she is a powerful human rights lawyer. So I really love the capacity that she displays because she's hears some pretty horrible things um, because she's dealing with like war victims and, and uh, sex trafficking victims and defending them in court. And very often her defense means someone's going to live or die or get out of a prison where they've been being abused. And so I really admire the capacity she has to be able to do what she does. And she's very successful at it. She's gotten a lot of people out of really terrible situations. So I admire, I admire people with capacity. Shonda Rhimes, um, who created Grey's Anatomy, she just walked away from Disney. She walked away from her deal with Disney and went over to Netflix because the executive, I don't know if you read that article, but I was like, wow, boundary capacity to the max. The executive at Disney refused to give her a $129 Disney pass for her sister to go to Disney and then said to her, don't you have enough? And she went, oh, really? Okay, I'm walking my butt over to Netflix. And she did, and she signed a deal with Netflix. They haven't revealed the actual numbers, but it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars with Netflix. And to me, like when I heard that story, I'm like new hero, Shonda Rhimes. She's just brilliant and she knows her worth. She knows her value and she has good boundary capacity. That's awesome. And it kind of reminds me of the story. Um, I don't know if you know Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I love Dave Chappelle. Yeah, he used to have a show on yes. Comedy Central and he yep. walked away from like 50 million. Yep, that's capacity right there. That's exactly, capacity. exactly. So, how do you define success um, as an entrepreneur? I think I, I define success by whether you're fulfilled by what you're doing, whether it brings you meaning, and that you can live the life you want to live with it, including that you're making enough money that you're creating the lifestyle you want to create. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So how would you like for people to remember you and your company? Um, the capacity is everything. <laughs> I always say it's not your strategy, it's your capacity. And that doesn't mean strategy isn't important. Strategy is equally as important. But it's not only about your strategy. Nice. And so um, just kind of wrapping it up here a little bit. Are there any future projects or releases that you would like to announce or anything that you're working on and cooking up? <laughs> we're always cooking things up. Um, we're always working on things. Um, so if you want to be kept up to date on anything as you're listening, you can go to my website at lisavabraga.com. We have an awesome video there as well that you can sign up for. It It's called Why, Why, why nothing is working, <laughs> why everything you're trying isn't working. And it asks you some three really deep, really good questions that probably nobody has ever asked you before to determine why things aren't working like you want them to. Um, and then you get a series of emails that kind of talk to you a little bit about capacity. So if you want to learn more about capacity and figure out why things aren't working for you, I totally recommend that you go there and just put your email in and you'll get that series of emails. That's awesome. That's awesome. So at the end of every podcast, I like to play a rapid fire question game at the end. So um, if that's okay, yeah. I'll just kind of get started. Okay. Question number one, where's your favorite place to travel? Uh, France. <laughs> France. Why France? Uh, I speak French and it's a beautiful country and the food is phenomenal and it's close to other countries I love like Italy and England. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Question number two, what song explains your life the most? There's a song from Pride and Prejudice, the remake with Kira Knightley. Um, and it's an instrumental song called Liz on Top of the World. Okay, Liz on top of the world. Yes, and it's and it captures the feeling of being, it's in a scene where she's standing on a very high cliff and she's looking at the whole world underneath. And I love that song because it captures that feeling of just looking out at everything and being on top of the world. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. And question number three, what's an amazing thing that you did that no one was around to see? Oh, um... <laughs> Well, a few people were around to see, but most people don't know this. I um, got a degree in just for a, myself, for a hobby. Um, I am a certified community herbalist now. So I learned nice. about plant taxonomy and how to use plants for herbs and medicine. And I could literally prescribe things to people now if I wanted to, but it's not my, <laughs> it's not my career. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. Like I've been, I've been drinking, um, turmeric nonstop. Yeah. So like I'm really into like the herbal thing and the plant. So I think that's awesome. And yeah. I, I normally only ask three questions, but I did have one more. If you feel comfortable answering it, because I thought it was so cool when you said it earlier in the interview, but if it's TMI, just let me know. But what is your go-to cuss word? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's a oh, man and queen of all customers <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so dope lisa thank you so much for joining us today and can you let the people know how they can find you on the internet and social media yes you can find me on all social channels instagram facebook linkedin 
under my name, Lisa Fabrega. It's across the board on every place. And you can find me on my website, lisafabrega.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. I had a great time. Yes. Thank you so much. Great questions. Awesome.